Well, tonight <coughs> will be our last sermon in the book of James. So, finally has come to an end. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been really blessed um, going through the book of James. It's just been very encouraging, I, I think, and helpful to me, very practical. <coughs> and... Um, so it's been a blessing, so hopefully it has been to you as well as you think about this, um, this uh, very great book in the Bible. If you have a, um, a Bible, you could, well, let me, let me pray first before I do that. Uh, Father, I do thank you for this journey that we have taken through the book of James. And um, James is, um, Lord, he's got a lot to say, and sometimes it's hard to hear, but Lord, but that's just because we need to hear it. And so, Lord, I just thank you for where you have spoken to us and where you have encouraged us, Lord, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. To not just say we have faith, but to show our faith by our works. And as we come now to these last couple verses which are fitting into this book, I pray that we would reflect, God, and heed Lord, your servant, James, that we might truly be what Jesus called the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You can turn to James chapter 5 if you have a Bible with you. And um, uh, I think think this is um, quite fitting into this book, the last two verses. like me, and as we've discussed a, a number of times, you know, James, uh, there's not always a clear flow of thought in the book of James. It's kind of like he strings different exhortations together uh, for us. And at first glance, um, these last closing words can kind of feel the same way. But I think the more we think about it, the more it becomes clear um, how they are fitting into his um, very practical book, and what they deal with is our responsibility towards our fellow believers in Christ who are wandering away from the Lord. And so the title of this sermon is, We Are Our Brother's Keeper. So I want you to think about with me and reflect on this theme uh, as we uh, uh, walk through it tonight. But now, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. From James chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. James chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The Word of God you may be seated. I want to see three things from our passage this evening. Number one, we obey and not just believe the truth. We obey and not just believe the truth. Number two, we are our brother's keeper. That's the, the title of the sermon. It's also my second point. We are our brother's keeper. Number three, we need each other for final salvation. 
We need each other for final salvation. So we obey and not just believe the truth. We are a brother's keeper. And number three, we need each other for final salvation. So first, we obey and not just believe the truth. I said that this was a suitable conclusion to the book of James, and I really think it is. Uh, James is um, most likely, is probably the most practical book in the New Testament, if not the entire Bible. It's the most obedience-focused book in the entire New Testament, if not the entire Bible. James has more imperatives per word count of any book in the entire Bible. So commands, it contains more commands per total word count of any book in the entire Bible. And so it's clear that James' great burden in his letter as he's writing to these Christians is that these Christians would not just say that they have faith, but that they would live out what they profess in lives of holiness and wisdom and integrity and compassion and generosity and self-giving and care for others. And so it's actually, if you think about it, then quite fitting that James concludes his letter with an encouragement. An encouragement to do what? An encouragement for those, uh, to those who are walking in the truth, to pursue those who have wandered away from the truth and to bring them back to God. Because if you think about it, what is James doing in this letter? It's really the exact same things that James has done in his entire letter. Why did James write this letter? In order to encourage Christians who have wandered from the truth to come back. And so James then concludes his letter by saying, what I have done for you, you go and do for others. I have written to you to draw you back and when you have wandered from these specific areas of obedience. And now it is up to you to go and reach out to others who have done the same. And so it really is a a fitting and warm conclusion to an otherwise rather hard-hitting book. And what I want to focus on here is the way he uses the word truth. I said here that we obey and not just believe the truth. When we think about truth, we do tend to think about propositions. That is, statements that either are true or either are false. But the truth in the Bible, the, the way truth, however, is used in the Bible is that it's a much more fuller sense. It's a much more f- deeper and full-orbed meaning uh, of, of the word truth. When the New Testament authors say the word truth, they're not just talking about a body of facts to believe, but about an, an entire worldview, an entire way of looking at reality of the world. And of course, by nature of that, a certain way to live in the world, in light of how it really is. And so the truth then is not just something we must believe. The truth is almost something we must do. Something we must obey. And this is, it's, it's remarkable how clear this is. Galatians 5, 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So remember the book of Galatians. It's about how the Galatians had turned back from the gospel and tried to and, and was trying to go back to Judaism as a way to be saved. 
And so that may just seem like a, a theological thing, but it's much more than theological. The, the, uh, the effect of that, Paul says, is that it was a false gospel and that false gospels cannot save. And so it's not just enough to believe the truth, but to obey the truth. And what we believe about the truth will affect how we live. 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Miss Teresa just said that there are a number of people at her work that profess to be Christians, but they bear no fruit in their lives. What does the Bible have to say about that? It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But notice about this, what does it say? Truth is something to be practiced. You can't say you believe a truth. and if, If you really believe a truth, in other words, it will affect the way you live your life. And if you don't live your life, then no matter how much you say you believe it, you don't really believe it. John 3, 21. Jesus said... But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we see that you can obey the truth, that we are to practice the truth, that we can do what is true. Truth is not just something to believe, but it's something to obey. And this is really important for a believer. And this is what I feel like has been really helpful as as we've been studying the book of James. And I've been reading this book recently on discipleship. And this book says that he believes that many churches commit what he calls a fatal flaw in, uh, in our discipleship practice and, and in small groups and, and sometimes things like we do when we do like that. We tend to focus in our Bible studies and things and our small groups, uh, we tend to focus on mere knowledge as if growing in the Lord is only a matter of growing in our knowledge of the Bible. Now, it's definitely... If anyone, if you know how I feel about this, I want people to grow in their knowledge of the Bible. And of course, we can only obey what we know. Nevertheless, as James is getting at here, it's, very, it's, it's quite possible, and in fact, many times it's the case, that we can grow in our knowledge of the Bible, but not really grow in our walk with the Lord. Why? Because... The truth is not just something to be known, but something to be obeyed. And reality is for us all, for us all, myself and and all of us, is that it's not, we all need to know more about the Bible. There's no doubt about that. But the truth is, is all of us already know more than we're living out. And perhaps we are committing an error in our Bible study, in our small groups, because sometimes we we do our small groups or, and things like that, and we focus, we focus on just increased Bible knowledge, which again is important. But it may be that we need to spend more time not in just doing Bible study, but more time in actually holding each other accountable to be living out what we have already learned from our study of the Bible. And if you read the Bible carefully, what you will see is that The Bible teaches that someone's maturity in their faith is directly related not to how much they know, but to how much they live out what they know. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In other words, 
In other words, I mean, you, and, and maybe you've met some people like this, biblical scholars who just are cold. They could, they could quote the scripture to you back and forth, but there's no love in them. No humility, no kindness and compassion and generosity. And so it may be that, that we need to spend more time focused on helping each other, not just study the Bible, but helping each other live out, encouraging each other to love and good works. Holding each other accountable, not just asking you, have you read your Bible this week, but have you loved this week? Have you served somebody this week? Have you told someone about Christ this week? Have you prayed for somebody this week? Have you met some kind of need this week? Holding each other accountable to grow, not just in our knowledge, but in our obedience to the Lord. And so number one, truth is something we obey and not just believe. Number two, number two, we are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. Of course, this language is taken from the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, I'll read this story to you from Genesis 4. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, uh, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And so what do we have in the story of Cain and Abel? We have one generation after the fall, right? So sin enters into the world through Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's, as far as we know, their first two children. One generation after the fall, and a brother kills another brother. Okay? And God comes and confronts Cain on this matter, and he deceitfully answers God's question by saying, where's your brother? And he deceitfully asks, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, do I have responsibility for the welfare of my brother? Cain obviously believed the answer to that question was no. Church, we cannot be like Cain. We cannot be like Cain. We are our brother's keeper. We are. And this is hard in American Christianity. But we are our brother's keeper. We do have the responsibility to take an active role in pursuing those who have wandered away from the Lord. Why? Because we're nosy? Because we want to get in their business? No. 
because we care about their soul. And we are our brother's keeper. We are supposed to care. Not just about the physical and spiritual well-being of those whom God has placed in our family of faith. We're supposed to care about the the physical and the spiritual. And so if someone, again, and this is why, this is why church membership is so important. And why we as, as churches in general and as we as Cottondale need to think critically about how we can begin to take church membership a lot more seriously because there's a lot of people on our roll who I I have no idea who they are. And if they're a member of Cottondale Baptist Church, then what does it mean? It means we have covenanted together to care for one another. And if if they are not here, we have the responsibility to reach out to them and go after them and bring them back. Why? Because we care about our soul, because we are our brother's keeper. I do believe that few things have damaged the healthy functioning of the Christian church in the West like our embrace of the extreme individualism of our day, where we feel like, you know, even within the church we have this attitude of, well, stay out of my business or don't judge me. And we, and we keep our problems and our struggles a secret rather than expose them to the healing power of Christian community. You see, that the difference is that as, as the family of God, as those who belong to Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are a family, right? And so, you know, you, you say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family because they're your blood. Well, we don't really get to choose our spiritual family either. God gets, God's going to save who he's going to save. But once they're part of the family, guess what? They're part of the family. And guess what? You're in and we're going to love you despite your flaws and your failings and the struggles that you face. And if you have struggles in your life, then the way to solve them is not to hide away in secret. Because guess what? Sin is like fungus. It grows in the dark. But Jesus talks about bringing things into the light. Why? Because, into the, because healing takes place in the light. You see, there's a great power in Christian community. Why, if there is a struggle in your life, what's the natural inclination, that, the thing that you want to do? Disappear. What does that mean? It means that's the exact thing you shouldn't do. You know who wants you to disappear and not share your struggles with anyone so that you suffer in silence and so that it has free reign to wreak havoc in your life? You know who wants that to happen? The devil, not God. Sin is like fungus. It grows in the dark. So do you want freedom? Do you want deliverance? Do you want help? And know that people who deeply love you and care about you, who struggle with sin just like you do. So we're not going to sit here and judge you like you've committed some kind of terrible. But we're going to love you and care for you and walk beside you to see how we can do whatever we can to make sure that you find victory in Jesus Christ. Then tell somebody. You need to tell somebody. 
so that we can help you. But what's more, the thrust of this passage is our responsibility to pursue others. It's our responsibility to pursue others. It's our responsibility to pursue those who have wandered away from the Lord. It's our responsibility to love others enough, to love these people on our role enough to say, hey, we're coming and we want you to be part of our family. Now, of course, we can't make them rejoin our family. And if they want nothing to do with rejoining our family, then that's where, that's where you know, they would, they would be in violation of our church covenant. We'd remove them from the church role. But at least we would have the clean conscience before God, knowing that when we stand before God on the last day, we'll be able to say, God, we tried. We did what we were supposed to do. We reached out to them and tried to bring them back, even if they wouldn't come. So we have the responsibility to love people enough to not just let them walk away from the Lord without a fight. That's what I want. I don't know about you, but if I start trying to walk away from the Lord, I want a family of faith who loves me enough who will come to me and say, Chad, if you want to walk away from the Lord, fine, but we're going to fight as hard as we can to stop you. To keep you from walking away. And to stay in the family of faith and to love the Lord. To love them enough to go and fight and bring them back from the water. And we're supposed to do this both personally in our own fears of, sphere of relationships. And we're also supposed to do this corporately in the corporate life and membership of the church. So first in our everyday relationships. In Luke 17, Jesus gives us this command. Pay attention to yourselves. If a brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You see, oftentimes we kind of scoff at that first part. That's a command, by the way. It's a command from Jesus Christ, rebuke the sinner. We don't like that. We don't, especially don't like to be rebuked. Some people like to rebuke. <laughs> you know who you are. But some, but some of us don't like to do that. We don't like confrontation. But nevertheless, that's a command. If someone is sinning, then the, then the command is to go to them and say, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? Rebuke them. And, and sometimes we scoff at that and we say, well, who are, who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? Well, God says I can and Jesus Christ will if I don't. And I'm trying to help you before it gets to that point. So we have the command to rebuke him. And, and sometimes we get so stuck on that part of rebuking the sinner that we miss the amazing grace of the next part. And that is, yes, I'm commanded, we are commanded to rebuke someone else who has sinned. And guess what I'm also commanded to do? Repent, re, uh, forgive you every single time. Every single time you repent. I'm to forgive you. Seven 70 times 7? What does that mean? Seven's the number of completion in the Bible. It's the number of perfection. Seven times 70, basically Jesus is just saying, you never stop. You never stop forgiving a repentant sinner. And so, yes, as a Christian community, we do have the responsibility to hold people up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because our testimony is at stake. Because, Ms. 
I've used you as an example here a lot, Miss Teresa, because of what you said. Because Miss Teresa is mature enough to know that those people claim to be Christians, but they're not walking with the Lord. But guess what? An unbeliever who works in her job will see those people and say, well, they say they're a Christian, but they live that like that. And that unbeliever who doesn't understand like Miss Teresa does will say, well, I want nothing to do with Jesus because if that's what Christianity is, I don't want nothing to do with it. And so guess what? If that person is a member of my church... I'm not happy about that. Because Jesus Christ is being profaned under my watch. So we do have a responsibility to do that. We have the responsibility, but we also see that it is a privilege, right? Because look at the amazing thing that it says what happens in verse 20 in James. It says, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. We get to play a part in something as incredible as that. Eternal life really is at stake, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second, but eternal life really is at stake. Consider Hebrews 12, verse 14 and following. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one, falls to obtain, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Look at that passage. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What does that mean? No, we're not saved by our works. As we talked about this morning, we're saved by grace, through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? If that's happened to you, you're going to have a, a, a holiness in your life. It may not be perfect, but it will be there and it will be growing. And, 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 there is a, and there is a level of holiness, he says, without which no one will see the Lord. But then what does it say in verse 15? 15 it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So just think about that for a second. This is the book of Hebrews. It's a command. He's talking to the church. And he says to us, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What does that mean? That means if I'm looking out and someone's looking like they're, they're failing to obtain God's grace in their life, then I need to go do something about it. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. You see, we are our brother's keeper. And a final way, and so this is, this is just in our private lives, and then a final way we are in our, our brother's keeper is corporately, in the church through what has historically been called church discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So look, that's the point. You see, lots of people don't like church discipline. But you see, that's the point. The point is to do what? To gain your brother. Right? Church discipline is not, is not, to, is not to throw down the hammer of condemnation from someone. It's to save someone. It's to gain someone. It's to bring someone back before they get too far gone. It's to gain their brother. 
But then in verse 16, it says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so what we see is that the goal of everything is to gain them back. You know, some people think church discipline is cruel, but it's actually the opposite is true. It's cruel to let someone who has covenanted to be the family of faith with us, it's cruel to let them wander away and be destroyed by sin and do nothing about it. That's cruel. While it wreaks havoc, potentially destroying their life, their family, and ultimately their soul. Which is why Jesus himself commanded us to do this. And again, remember... The, the church discipline part where you have to bring it to the church is only in the case of unrepentant sin, and it's only the very last thing that takes place. It's the, it's the very last thing that takes place. And so it's not cruel, and it, it only happens after a long series of us pursuing and pursuing and pursuing and pleading and begging to come back to Jesus Christ. But if they refuse, it is our responsibility Jesus teaches to remove them from membership. You see, the Christian life, one thing that we need to hear about in, the, in the very individualistic West about the Christian life is the Christian life is not just me and Jesus. It's we and Jesus. If you, if you want to be totally anonymous and let nobody in in your life, you've come to the wrong place. There's, there's all kinds of civic clubs you can go to do that. But if you want to be known and helped in the midst of your problems and to find grace and mercy and help and healing in your time of need, you've come to the right place. The family of God. So number one, we obey and not just be- believe the truth. Number two, we are our brother's keeper. Number three... We need each other for final salvation. We need each other for final salvation. Again, in verse 20, it says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, perhaps if you've thought about this verse before, it might have raised some questions with you. That's, that's incredibly strong language that he says that we play a part in. Save someone's soul from death? Cover a multitude of sins? I thought Jesus did all that. Well, he does, but apparently we can play a part in it too. Think about how big a deal that is that in our pursuit of people who, are, who have professed faith but are now wandering from the Lord, we have the re- re- privilege to pursue them in order to actually save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The gravity of that alone is huge. So we, so we can't take it lightly. Death there almost certainly refers to final death or spiritually death. Spiritual death, that is eternal separation from God in hell. But we do have to ask then, Because he seems to imply here then that apart from this work, apart from pursuit of this of these people and bring them back from their wandering, James seems to imply then that 
um, someone who otherwise we would say is a believer in Jesus Christ uh, can, can fall away. In other words, it kind of makes us wonder about the doctrine of what we call eternal security or perseverance of the saints, which, which, which most Baptists have historically believed. That is that someone who has truly been saved, been born again by God, will not, cannot ultimately fall away from God. And I do believe that. I do affirm that. I do believe that's what the Bible uh, teaches. But at the same time, we do have to acknowledge that the Bible does teach, in no uncertain terms, that a Christian must endure to the end to be saved. In fact, those are Jesus' exact words. He who endures to the end will be saved. So that is, if a person who gives all other signs, as far as we can tell, of genuine faith in Christ, but then they fall away from God and they never come back. I believe the Bible teaches that despite what we saw, they were never truly born again. They had never really truly experienced the grace of God. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. In other words, uh, John, and, and in other places, Jesus, I believe, makes quite clear that, that there will be those within the Christian community who profess faith to Christ and who would even, we, we might say, have some spiritual experiences. That's scary. Have some spiritual experiences but have not truly known God. Remember, Jesus talks about people who will come to him and say, did we not cast out demons in your name? What is that? It's an experience of spiritual power. And what would Jesus say to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. So in other words, the Bible is clear that there will, that there is, can be, will be those among us who will, as we say, wander away from the truth, and it is our responsibility to pursue them, but if we cannot bring them back, then, then we must say, well, they were not of us. And we pray for what? Well, we pray for them to be saved, <laughs> to come to the Lord, to know him in the truth. And that's what Jesus means when he says, let them be then to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the point is this. If you are truly saved, if, again, like we talked about this morning, if you have received a new heart in the new covenant by the power and the Spirit of God, born again, as Jesus said, I believe then you will persevere. You will not ultimately fall away. And that in and of itself is what? It's a gift from God. It's not something you do on your own. It's a gift from God. Remember, Jesus said... um, those who are in my hand, no one can snatch them away from me. What does that mean? It's not you. Your faith in Christ is not you holding on to Jesus. It's Jesus holding on to you. And so the true believer in Jesus Christ will persevere to the end, but it is not automagic, okay, to make up a word. It's not automagic. It's not like you're saved and then boom, you know, it's just... God uses means to accomplish his ends. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you will be 
you will endure to the end, not apart from other believers speaking into your life, but because of other believers speaking into your life. God will preserve you in the faith, not by your own strength, but through the means of other people pursuing you and speaking truth into your life. That's why, in my opinion, it's totally absurd to say that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ, but not an active participant in the body of Christ, because that is the means of our salvation, is the body of Christ ministering to one another, loving one another, pursuing one another in the wandering, hearing the preached word so that we can be strengthened in our faith and convicted of our sin and come back to him so that we are kept by the... God uses it's the same way when we share, when we share the gospel, right? We can't save anybody. Only God can save. We just deliver the message. But God has ordained that it is only through the deliverance of the message that he saves. So we can't, so even though God's ultimately in control of salvation, we can't sit back and say, well, God's going to save him if he's going to save him. No, he's going to save him when you preach the gospel to him. That's how, that's how he's going to save him. That's the means of his salvation, of our salvation, and the means of our perseverance until final salvation is somebody speaking truth into our life. And guess what? That can't happen apart from the community of faith. That's why we need each other. Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. You know that? The devil's a liar. And when you're struggling with something, the devil and your sin is going to tell you, keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody. But what happens, but what, but what happens when you listen to the deceitfulness of sin? You become hardened. You become hardened. Don't do it. But what's the solution to this? Verse 14 there says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, listen, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see that? You see the, the logic? We have come to share in Christ if we endure to the end. That's how you know. That's how you know that you have come to share in Christ that you endure to the end. But what is the means of our endurance? Verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. You see that? That is how we persevere to the end is by being in a family of faith where we can exhort one another. And look at that, every day, every day. How, how often do I need other believers to speak truth into my life? Every day. I need it every day. And so it is no small thing. It's no small thing when we speak truth and pursue wandering. And we sometimes call backsliding brothers and sisters and plead with them to come back to God. It is no small thing. 
It's no small thing. And so let us think about this and let us pray about this and let us not be something that we uh, be lackadaisical about. And in the, in the coming uh, months, you know, my desire is to, is to begin to, to try to pursue some of these people on our membership list and, and pray that the Lord will use it to bring them back. And if they won't come back, you know, then we'll, we'll just have to say, in the fear of God, we love you. But if you, but if you won't come back to be part of our family, we're going to have to remove you from membership from, this, from our church. And it's not, we're not saying that you're not saved, but it is a warning that if you don't come back to God, we are concerned about you. We are concerned about you. And we love you. And we want you to come back. But see, this is, this is our appointed means. Remember in that same passage when Jesus talked about um, the, the church discipline? It's the same passage, if you remember, where Jesus talks about the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you loose in, on, in, on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That, I believe that means that we do have the responsibility. Like Paul told the Corinthians in, in Corinthians 5 when he told them to, to, to remove from membership that, that person who was unrepentant in their sexual immorality. We do have the responsibility to guard the testimony of the church by guarding the purity of our membership. And, what, and you know what? And the truth is, is you know what, hap- what will happen when we begin to take church membership seriously? People will begin to take it seriously. People will see that, guess what? We mean business. And why? We mean business because Jesus Christ means business. And, and if your name is on the roll of Cottondale Baptist Church, I want you to be good and clear when you stand before God. Because guess what? I'm going to have to tell God why you weren't. Because I was your pastor. And, and, and they were our fellow members of this church. So let's pray about that. Think about that. And if you know, and if you know people, reach out to them, love them, tell them that we you care. Make a, a a lengthy, concerted effort to reach out to them, and we'll see what God does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your.